And for the rest of us, I know this is, this is day one, right? Day one of the new year. I double-check my date. My wife points out sometimes, I don't know why it is, but I'll, I'll get the date wrong on my notes. Sometimes I look at a Saturday. I put the Saturday in there. I don't know. It's that rule, you know, you, you measure once, measure, measure twice, cut once. Well, that doesn't apply to, I checked it once and didn't go back, right? But this time, this being day one of January 1, right? And 23, I'm proud of myself. I got the date right. So we're starting off to a good, it's a good year, right? Well, as I like to do every year at the beginning, whether it's the end of the year, the beginning of the new year, I like to keep the Lord's mission in front of our face. And we are not here as Christians, to create our own mission. Uh, we're not here to, to simply say this is, you know, to pick and choose of Scripture and to do what we like or, or what we don't like. Uh, we are called to the Great Commission. We, as a church, Faith Community Bible Church, uh, our, our mission statement, which is ongoing, right, it's, it's a summary of the Great Commission, simply states to see, right, our desires to see non-believing people become committed followers of Jesus Christ. So we want to see those who are non-believing outside of Christ come to know Christ. And we also want to see those who are in Christ continue to be committed followers of Christ, growing and developing, right? Picking up their cross and following after Jesus. There are times I know, brothers and sisters, where that's, that's a joy and a delight. I know it truly is always, but there are times where that is a struggle, this is why we need each other. So the mission that we're called to, right, is the Great Commission. There are uh, many who need to hear of Jesus. Uh, you and I came to believe because someone else shared the gospel with us. And God has called us for such a time as this to be those who are telling the gospel that others might come to know Jesus. I had this stat written down on a, on a notepad in my office I heard it from a, a podcast maybe or, or something or read it somewhere. I wrote it down and I didn't cite it. Um, so that's a new year. I got to fix that in the new year, cite my things. But I, I heard this just a few weeks ago uh, that 55% of Americans who are 35 and younger, 35 and younger, 55% of them do not believe in absolute truth. Think about that for a moment. There's no absolute truth beyond them, right, outside of them. So you're 35 and younger, and you are running with subjective truth. In essence, you are, right, creating your own reality in your mind, right? You're navigating and living within the means of, of a society, which is, right, decaying and breaking down. But you have uh, those with this idea that we can make truth really kind of whatever we want it to be. So if you pause on that thought for a moment... And you think about our culture, and you know, when people run with only subjective truth, meaning it's inside of me, not outside of me, well, then we can begin to see why there's those struggling, right, an immense growth of depression. There are many, right, it's sad to say that the suicide rates are rising. There are many who are trying to find, or are, are concluding, rather, that life is meaningless, when this is subjective, right, we know that people will have anxiety. There are young people today who do not want to have a family. We don't want to bring children into the world. There's anxiety regarding this. 
That's not uncommon. It goes against the, the, the creation mandate, right? Be fruitful, multiply. We have people who have anxiety regarding these things. We see people in our culture because truth is now subjective and not objective, that there's not a God outside of us who's created us. Therefore, when that is absent, we have people who are confused about their gender and their sexual identity. Last time I checked, I think it's over 300 different now. I mean, that's, it's not going to get less, right? It's going to continue. If God is outside of the picture, this is what you get. You have people now who have made their religion centered around critical theory and critical race theory and wokeism and intersectionality. This has become, right, their reason for living. They're, they're confused. They're disoriented. Right? This is our world. This is January 1 of 2023. Welcome, right? Happy New Year. And God has saw fit that you would be breathing at such a time as this, that you would understand the times, right? And know what is most important is that people be reconciled to their creator, their greatest need. And when objective truth is gone, we see the confusion we see the desperation. We see the meaningless of people treat life as simply nothing. And yet the gospel brings reason, value, meaning to life. Right? Theology brings purpose to the pain. So this is our responsibility. And here in a moment I'll read from Matthew 28. If you have your Bibles there, Matthew 28. But I, I, was, I was struck by this little illustration of this as I was working through the introduction. And it was this moment that was shared about a soldier who was a part of Alexander the, Alexander the Great's army. And he was uh, being court-martialed for deserting. And at this moment, he was asked, when he, come, when he came before Alexander the Great, he was asked his name. And this soldier responded and said, my name is Alexander. To which Alexander the Great replied, change your name or mend your manners. Now I say that in front of us because I believe, right, it is a struggle for us to engage the culture. But we must have a greater conviction of who Christ is a greater desire to make him known than in our own name, a greater fear of God than a fear of man, that we too would say, you know what, I'm going to be a Christian with all my imperfections, right, with all my struggles, I'm going to be a Christian first. I'm going to mend, right, my manners and be a Christian. So this is the passage as Christ sits in front of his church I'll begin in verse 16. We'll focus on the last couple, but beginning in verse 16 of Matthew 28. <clears throat> but the 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let me offer a brief prayer. Lord, as we've read your word, and now as we look to it for instruction from it, I ask that your spirit would teach us and guide us. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, the right amount of conviction in our own lives uh, would be uh, growing, that we would be identified first as Christians. What the world needs is a church uh, who who are people, children, and followers of Christ who believe So we ask, Lord, that this would be set in front of us, that you would instruct us in it, into the area of our our influence, and to where you lead us. Let us be that light, and let us trust Christ above all. And Lord, as always, get me out of the way that we receive what you have, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we jump into this gospel, right, and we come to the last uh, verses of this gospel, it is important just to simply note that um, Matthew's focus is the Jews. Matthew writes in such a way that he wants to explain the Messiah, explain Christ to those uh, Jews who might doubt him. Right? He focuses on that. Right? He begins with the genealogy. He begins right, with the birth of Christ, the beginning of his gospel. Uh, he is Emmanuel, Christ with us. He ends his gospel right, with this, this moment of commissioning. Now, if you think about the other gospels, I mean, Matthew does not end with Christ's ascension. He doesn't end with the resurrection. But he ends, right, writing to Jews... The purpose of Christ coming with all authority, as he just told us, to go into all the world. The Jews were to realize that they too need to repent and believe, right, on the Messiah. And they are to take this message to the Gentiles, to which all of us who are Gentiles and know Jesus said, Amen, right? And we have to also realize at the beginning of this, what Jesus, or excuse me, at the end of this, this uh, passage, but before we get into this sermon, really, uh, is that this is universal. Christ's power, as he says in verse 18, all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. This is a universal calling, right? It's universal in our own lives. Christ has authority over every area of your life. Every area of your life needs to come under the authority of Christ. We are not to be people who live on Sunday as followers of Jesus and live as if we're followers of something else the rest of the week. Christ does not call us to be perfect. It's why he has come. We're not perfect, right? He calls us to be followers Monday, right, through Sunday. Well, Sunday's beginning of the week. We took that for granted. But Sunday through the following Sunday, right? This is all authority. So every area of your life is to come under that. It also speaks to, to the global idea that all around the globe, right, Christ has authority. Let me ask you, is there a place where Christ doesn't have authority? Some of you hesitated. I'm going to go back around, speak that again. No, there's no place where he has no, he has all authority. Every authority, all right, all authority in your life and, and all authority around this globe, 
Now that might leave us scratching our heads to what we see happening in our culture, but God has so decreed to move through his church. This is why I speak often about what's going on in the church, because we are a part of his church, right? It's us. So here's the mission, right? It's universal and authority. It has a universal mission. It is of universal call. This is radically different. We don't see this anywhere in the Old Testament, right? We don't see uh, Israel going out and evangelizing, right? There, there was one people. There were the Jews. This is brand new, right? This is a, a messianic mission. This is a Christ-centered mission. He's calling us to go. It's the messianic launch, right? He's telling his disciples, universal, go. And every believer, if you profess Christ, Christ is speaking to you, you too. In your uh, sphere of influence, where you go, what you do, you too are on mission. We are not here for ourselves. So every follower of Christ is to work. Right? Go is an action. It's a verb. It's a command, right? To make disciples. These are commands. He's sending us out with authority, saying, I'll be with you. Uh, you need to go, right? Does evangelism happen um, by happenstance? Does it haphazardly? I mean, we guess we could say it happens, but it takes work. It takes effort. It takes motion. It takes speaking. It takes living, right? It takes bringing. It takes inviting. It takes praying, it takes engaging, right? It takes uh, not getting offended when we're rejected. It takes not giving up. It takes coming back to Calvary and saying, you know, Christ didn't give up. And they treated him like the, the worst of the worst. Uh, he was sinless, right? And innocent. They treated him like a criminal. I, I can get over a few, uh, someone calling me some names. I always like to say, you know, when you get called some of those things, right? You're in good company. Look at all our heroes of the Bible. Look how they treated them. Right? You're, you can get up to, when you get to heaven, you can bump some knuckles with them. I understand a little, right? You're in good company. This also gives us reason, right? We, we follow after Christ. We understand this. But it gives us reason and purpose, right? If I was to ask the question, why are we in, you know, Atwater, Winton, why are we here? It also answers the question, what is God's will for your life? Well, part of it is here. You're to be a light, just like I am to be a light. So how do we go forward? What are some things that I want to keep in front of you? And the first one is simply this. We are commissioned, commanded, right? Could be the right, might be the better word, but to be devoted to his gospel, right? It is not our truth. It is his truth. He tells us, go, therefore, and make disciples. Are we to, to make the disciples attached to something we believe? No. And this is a, a vital point if you think about it, because typically what happens, whatever you win them to, or with, rather, is what you win them to. If we win them to a, a, a church that's full of light shows and, and mirrors and, and circus animals and whatever else they're doing today, right, there was that one church uh, in, in Tom Askell's book about blowing the pastor up in a car and, right, he came back out and, I mean, that's, they, some of these churches go for it. It's, you know, if you win them with that, that's, that's what they think Christianity is. This is why theology is so important. This is why understanding the gospel is so important. Dr. Robert Gonzalez says, true devotion to the person of Christ will always manifest itself in true devotion to the word of Christ. Right? This is 
This is God's word. It's God's truth. It is his gospel, right? It's not the way we would save the world, maybe, right? You might think of it different. This is the way, though, in which we are redeemed. This is good news, right? We just got done celebrating Christmas. Christ has come into the world, and we don't have a sinless birth and a, and a son who lives, right, and becomes a man and lives sinless and doesn't go, or rather goes to the cross. We don't have that, we don't have salvation. We don't have good news. We have a story. But it's the, the example, the power of the gospel. Christ right, centered his life upon this. It is him. Right? It's all about him. The book, the Bible is a book of redemption. It all focuses upon Christ. And we see this, just so you know, and Matthew's not the only one grabbing hold of this. Even though he ends his gospel, he puts an emphasis on it. Mark, in Mark 16, 15, says it like this, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Preach his gospel. Preach his word. Luke says it like this. He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. His truth, his name. John said it like this, Peace be with you, is Jesus speaking. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. What are they to do? Preach, proclaim. The church was founded upon his gospel, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power. The Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remote, remotest parts of the earth. We go send this message, his gospel, right? Paul was the foundation, the gospel was the foundation of his ministry, Romans 1. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do you realize if we substitute a different gospel, can we, is, that, is that verse true anymore? If we come and we say, Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. What if he was to come and preach another gospel? Do we have the power of God? It's his truth, his gospel. His, the, the, when he writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 2, it is the, right, it is the foundation, the centrality right, of, of the church. He says, but after we have already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. It is the, it is the backbone, the foundation. I know you're, some of you are staring at me going, yes, I get this, Pastor, but I'm not going to move on too quickly. My point is simply this. It is not our truth. It is his truth. And God's power comes when we preach his truth. Lives are changed when we open up his word and say, look, right, this is you. You once were a sinner, right, or are a sinner. This is how you come to Christ. 
Read it for yourselves. This is where the power of God comes. So this is the commission. This is the command. You are, you are called to this. So it means we have to have some amount of conviction that it's actually true. So what do we need to do with it? Well, you have to live the gospel. You have to share the gospel. So we need to be prayed up. This must be a year of prayer. It must be a year of Bible reading. Reminds you, right? If you don't have one, they're in the back. There's many other, if you go to Legionnaire Ministries, there's many other reading plans if this one doesn't suit your fancy, but grab one. Get the Bible in you. And two, and this must be a year of prayer. Start this, this year out good. Come next Thursday evening, right? Come and pray. Listen to what Paul asks of the Ephesian church. Ephesians 6, 19, 20 says, And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. It means the revelation of Christ, right? For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now Paul is asking for a specific moment to be bold. I believe we should be praying for one another, right? In your sphere of influence that you too would be bold. The moments that the Lord gives you. Do not shy away from those to speak of Christ. Speak of prayer, right? So be prayed up. And then you must understand the gospel. I know that's assumed. But what you need to understand is that the the evil one, Satan loves to take that spoon I don't know if it's a spoon, but go with my metaphor here and, and muddy the waters, doesn't he? He likes to confuse people. I mean, people are going to have a lot of questions. I mean, we see this in Scripture. Think in, in um, Galatia, when the Judaizers came. And they were saying, yeah, you can believe on Christ, that's really good, but you have to keep some of these ceremonial laws. What was Paul's response to them? That's a different gospel. That's a powerless gospel. We can realize quite quickly, can there be false gospels? Yes, many of them, unfortunately. J.C. Ryle says this, since, since Satan cannot destroy the gospel, he has too often, often neutralized its usefulness by addition Subtraction or substitution. John MacArthur says this, this is a great quote. Satan continues his efforts to make sin less offensive, heaven less appealing, hell less horrific, and the gospel less urgent. There's an enemy, right? We have an enemy. There are many people you're going to come across who are confused about the gospel. They're going to have questions about the gospel. Right? Today we see this in, in a self-help, right? It's popular in many churches. Add Jesus to your life. He's a self-help guru of some sort. We see it in the prosperity gospel. Confusing, right? Resources, finances. If you're wealthy, you're saved. If you're not, whatever. 
We see it in the you don't have to change gospel, right? Just come as you are. Yes, that's the call. And then apparently the gospel doesn't do anything in your life. There is a life to be lived. That's what's absent of most churches in, in this mission. Is God wants, Christ wants disciples, wants followers, right? There's a legalistic gospel. We turn it into a bunch of rules, regulations. But the gospel is good news. The gospel is that you're born into sin and yet Christ has come. That there is one who lived this sinless life and he went to Calvary. And because of his shed blood, because of his atoning sacrifice, if we repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus, we can be saved. It's about Christ. So we must understand the gospel, right? Share it with clarity, live it out. It's his truth. We also need to, to share it without prejudice. Might have had us on the end of that word, but prejudice. I've said many times that we, we're not to look, right? God is, has uh, the creator of every soul. So it doesn't matter what, we, what, our, what ethnic background we have. It doesn't matter uh, where we come you know, financially or socially, right? Every person is a soul. And, and we must not be uh, those who think, well, this person can't spiritually understand or they're too far gone. I understand that there is discernment. I understand that there are moments where you can uh, present the gospel and, and just get ridiculed. I get that. That might be a place to say, okay, well, we're going to move someplace else. We must be wise. But we must not lose sight of the thief on the cross. Here is a man who, who acknowledges that what he has done in his life is worthy of death on a cross. I am receiving just punishment, but Christ is innocent. He repents and believes on the Lord, and Jesus redeems him. So even though we use discernment, we must never think that there are people too far outside of God's power or his might, because they too are under his authority. The gospel is good news to all people. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes, those who come to repent, the regenerating work of the Spirit to believe on Christ. And we have this wonderful picture, right, in Revelation of when this all is consumed and wrapped up, there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation they will come together and, and sing together, right? I can't imagine what that'll sound like, but they will be singing salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's a great day to look, to look ahead, isn't it? So in this world, right, be a light. Don't simply write off those we think are unable or unwilling. Present the gospel the best we can. Live it. Don't be prejudiced about it. And then share it, right, with Christian love. Be marked by love. Jesus says, right, his disciples are marked this way. I mean, this is, I believe, right, foundation to any person coming. I can't imagine. I thought about this earlier today. I was thinking, has there ever been a testimony that you've ever heard that didn't have some type of element in it where I was a wretch, I was this, and yet Christ, what? Loved me. Saved me. 
There's one who, who, who went the extra mile. There's one who went to the miry clay, as David said. There's one who went to the pit of destruction, where that's where I was living. And there's one who grabbed my soul, as David said in our scripture reading, right, and put my feet on the rock. What is he talking about? Clearly, he's looking forward. He's looking ahead, right, to Christ. Every testimony has that. There is a moment of, of Christ who goes to the miry clay, who gets himself dirty. We have to be full of grace and mercy. We have to be full of love. The Lord, right, his word tells us to do this. I think for us, the struggle will be we will feel inadequate. I think the enemy likes to bring or remind us, you know, you're not all that good. Right? To which we say, oh, you have no idea. Just how great my sin is, the blood of Christ is greater. I love the story when a person wrote to George Whitfield claiming he was unfit for the ministry. His response was, again, you have no idea. The greater is my Christ than my sins. To think about the people God has used. You know, too often we'll take ourselves out. I can't share, I blew it, whatever it might be. But God has to use imperfect people. None of us are perfect. Peter denied him. Jesus restored him, right? Abraham was too old. I'm too old. Sometimes we feel that. I feel that time too old. Jacob was a liar. She's not my wife. Moses had a stuttering problem. He also killed a guy. Gideon was afraid. You can relate to that. Knocked the temples down at night. Right? Rahab was a prostitute. She was part of Jesus' lineage. David was an adulterer and also a murderer. Jonah ran from God. John the Baptist, like no other, he ate bugs. <laughs> I'm sure he got teased a few on that one, right? The disciples fell asleep. Jesus begged them to pray. There's loads. We could, we could continue on. See, you're commissioned to his gospel. His word is the power of God and salvation. It is his name. And God so loves his church and loves us that he says, here, here is the kingdom of God. Don't sit on it. Live it. Proclaim it. Speak of it. Be grateful for it and know that it is the power that others will come to believe. Because that's where Jesus takes us in this passage, doesn't he? He says, right, it's my second point. We're commissioned to make disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. And Jesus has an understanding that it is going to go forward, isn't it? He doesn't say, you know, hopefully, as you go forward, some of you might make some disciples. No, he says, you're going to go make disciples. So what is he getting at? We know there is an element of conversion. He's not hitting at conversion, even though that's part of it. The focus here is disciples. Yes, we have to evangelize in order to get a disciple, but he's talking about those who become mature in Christ. That's the heart of what Jesus is saying. 
Many have missed this. Many organizations have missed this. I mean, yes, we can, we can appreciate their effort in saying, we want to we see people come to know Jesus. Amen. I'm with you on that. But when they come to know Jesus, we just leave them there. And then they don't know how to live for Jesus. And so they're stuck. They give it up. They walk away, whatever it might be, or they become a horrible representation of Christ to others because they don't know. And yet this is prevalence, right? But Christ's heart here is, yeah, you need to win them. Evangelism, discipleship work together. You have to have both. But he says, emulate my pattern. Grab those 12 right around you and then disciple them. That's what he's modeled for us. And he tells us, make disciples by what? Not assembling on Sunday because it's Christmas? Or does he say, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you? It's a lifelong process. This is what it means to be gospel people. We're gospel people. We're Christ people. So, so what, is a, what does a person need from you? They need, right, only what we talked about earlier, right, to trust and believe in God's truth and to model it, but he, they need you to live it in front of them. Right? You're the interaction. As you disciple others, they need to know what it looks like. What, is a, what does a Christian marriage look like? What does a Christ follower look like? What does a Christ parent look like? What is a, what is a person who's going through this difficulty and yet come to, together on Sunday and yet they lift their voice and their life and their soul and with tears they worship their God. Many might simply come. Paul Washer had touched on the change that is happening in our culture when he spoke of witnessing to some young men and they, they came to church and he realized that as they were worshiping, he was the only one singing around them. Paul thought, he, well, I have a good voice, but I'm not the only voice. He looked at these young men and all of them who he was witnessing to were just standing during the worship and they're singing these, these wondrous hymns and all they could do is stare. He realized later the churches that they were in, that's all they did for worship. It was a, a production, right? We just stand and we watch. They had to learn. They had to look at Paul and say, look, lift your voice. Lift your voice. People are going to need you to live it out. You're not perfect, right? Don't let that excuse creep into your mind. They're going to have questions, right? A disciple, see, so they're going to read this verse where Jesus says, You're, we're supposed to hate our, our mother and father. What does that mean? Explain it to them. It means we love Christ more. Christ would never tell us to hate our father and mother. But he's emphasizing Christ must be more. See, I think there's a conviction that needs to, to develop in our life. Christ is more. You know, we see that in life. We see it in, in movies. We see that theme played out that people live for a greater good or greater something. What greater reason does a Christian have? Our Savior's overcome the world. He has all power and authority, and He's called me by my name. 
Well, I'm going to live for him. They're going to have questions. You're also going to need, as you make disciples, you're going to need, right, to, to invest some time. Be patient. I know for, I say that word for some of us. I don't know if you feel like me. I used to, I, the word patient sometimes is a dirty word, right? That's difficult. But be patient. Be full of love for them. You know, love is demonstrated, right, through through moments of compassion. Moments where maybe we're the one leading and apologizing. Maybe moments of kindness, gentleness, humility. The fruits of the Spirit come to bear out. Be patient with them. Because God's word is true. It doesn't come back void. Some of us grow faster than others. This leads to my last, my last point. How do we help each other? Right? We want to be a church that helps other members in the church disciple. Right? We, we believe his truth. It's God's truth. It's his, it's his gospel. We take it to action. Gonna live it out, model it, grab hold of those who have influence. I'm gonna evangelize. And then as someone comes to believe, I'm gonna invite them to church. I'm gonna work with them, be patient with them, pray for them. But I also wanna be uh, encouraged that I can bring them to a church where there's a bunch of other believers full of grace, full of mercy, who are followers of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus came to call sinners to repentance through his church. Come and believe, repent of your sins. That was Paul's message on, on Mars Hill. God has called us to come repent. It is our message. Right? Come, repent. But we want to be firm with sin, but full of love. See, if we've been sharing the gospel with someone and they're ready to come to church, you know, I want to, I want to come to church with you this next week. Oh, that's outstanding, come to church. But can you imagine bringing them to a church where they're treated poorly or treated as if they're not that, that important, as if they're just nothing? I think at that moment we cease to be a church, right? We're missing what we're here, what's, what's it about. I'm not saying we're perfect. But if we're not a loving church, we're definitely short-circuiting the process. If we're not making disciples, right? If we're not encouraging and helping others, then we're, we're missing it. So some things for us, right? As we help in the church is, and people bring other things, as we engage and act with or interact with other people, then you've got to be willing to grow, right? We have to be willing to grow in our theology and our understanding, we have to be uh, looking forward and saying, you know, every soul is, is important and valuable, and I'm going to be that extension. I'm going to be that one who seeks out those sitting by themselves, or I'm going to introduce myself or take someone to lunch. I'm going to share my life. I'm going to be prepared to do that. I'm going to be okay if I'm not perfect as I interact with others because they're not perfect either. I need the same grace they need, and I'm going to extend that grace to those who come, it's, it's simply that simple. See, we want to be a church, and it's the culture of our church that loves God. It's the greatest, right? The first and greatest commandment 
and love our neighbors as ourselves. That's really all I'm saying, isn't it? A church where people can come, believe on the Lord, hear the word preached, be encouraged by one another. This, right, is the commissioning. This is the responsibility. I put in my notes some things I need your help with. I believe it is my conviction, but I pray that you would pray for me and the elders and the deacons and the deaconesses that we would never deviate from our commitment to Scripture. As a follower here, as a follower of Christ and a member here, rather, uh, make sure the leadership never deviates. Help our life groups grow by getting involved if you're not in one. Our small groups. Next Sunday morning, Dr. Bob and the Muyesos is starting. Our life groups are going to have a meal. That should be, right, a, uh, an encourager. Our men meet Saturday morning, which is starting this Saturday, next Saturday at 7 a.m. The ladies have a study on Wednesdays at 10.30 a.m. Pray for our student ministry that more students would come, that our student leaders would be encouraged. Please pray for them. Pray for our children's ministry. Pray for families. Pray for boldness for one another. See, God has has given us the Great Commission. And it needs to be our priority. It needs to be in front of us in all that we do this upcoming year. Why are we here? So that's the call. That's the, the, the call to what it means, right? To be a follower of Christ, to take his message forward. And we want to be those who don't need to change our name or mend our manners. We want to be those who realize that that in this world, as I live for Christ, I will be judged, but I'm going to get judged for what I believe in. I'm not going to be fearful of man. I'm going to reverence and have a right fear of God, as David said in Psalms 40. I'm going to be devoted to his gospel because it's his truth and not my own. I'm not going to change it to fit what I think it should be. I'm going to continually challenge my understanding according to his word. I'm going to grow in this. I'm going to be committed to evangelizing and and involving myself and other people's lives the best that I can, that they might come to know Christ. That's going to start with prayer. Then it's going to start with conversations. Then I'm going to help my church grow and, and help others make disciples. This is who we are. So the question comes, right, for us is, do we believe? Do we really believe? Do we have this conviction? Am I willing to pray? Am I willing to ask? Am I willing to trust? Remember, right, Matthew began his gospel, chapter 1, verse 23, Emmanuel, God with us. He ends his gospel with Jesus will be with us. And what is he saying? Just what Isaiah told us. For a child has been born to us, a son has been given to us, and the government is on his shoulders, and his name is called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
eternal Father, Prince of Peace. This God is with us. And the power of God is when we open his word and we preach his gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word, the truth of your word. And Lord, as this is a new day and a new year, and we keep this message in front of us, I pray, Lord, that we would realize that we are people on mission. You've given us a great task. And it's easy for us to look at this task and conclude, I am unfit. And I believe this is why you tell us when we go to those dark places, when we go to those, those conversations, you are with us. We know you are ever-present in your omnipresence. We know you're always with us, but you remind us. And it shows how important, Lord, your commission is, how near and dear it is to your heart. Let it, Lord, I pray, be near and dear to us. Let us be gospel people. We are not perfect. Lord, you know us. But I pray for boldness in each of our lives that this year would be a year where we stand Lord, for your truth, where we step out in moments of uncertainty and see our faith grow because, again, you are with us. Lord, I pray for that boldness to come, that we would, we would not deviate or compromise, that we would not add or subtract to your word, that it would be, and that, Lord, the seriousness of sin, Lord, would be challenged by the power of the gospel. I pray that, that we would not, um, Lord, deviate from any of these truths, but we would grow in them. So, Lord, I pray. I pray for your grace, your mercy, and power, embold us, and Lord, lead us. Not for our sake, but for your kingdom. Grow it here. Let salvation come here. Let those who are on the outside who don't know you, let them, Lord, come to know you. Let us be active in that. And Lord, be glorified in all of it. We look forward to this new year, the great things in front of us. The world might be growing dark, but Lord, I believe your light is growing brighter. Let us be a part of it. We pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.